Clap your hands and give God praise. Well, God, we say thank you. We say thank you, Father. We come in submitted to your will and your word and your way, to your greatness, oh God, that you're bigger than any problem or situation that we face. And God, I know that all of us have one thing in common, that no matter how much great or small we have, little or much, we all need you one way or another. Some need you, Lord God, to be a burden bearer now. Some need you to be a heavy load sharer. Somebody needs you to be a heart fixer. Somebody needs you as comfort in the midst of sorrow. Somebody needs you as peace in a world full of anxiety. But one thing is true, God. For whatever reason and whatever stage of life, we come here corporately to say, we all need you, God. And we declare that you are greater hallelujah than any of our needs God you are greater than any of our troubles and we give you praise and thanks for that thank you for showing up in this place God hallelujah be the glory we give you glory Jesus to God be the glory have your way in this place Lord God to God God praise in the place. He has changed me with his power. He has raised 
God some praise today. We want to welcome all of you, my father's children, into this place. Praise team, thank you for all you do. Thank you. It's so wonderful to see all of your faces and get the opportunity to share the gospel with you again. I so miss you. We got Praise God. Thank you for Brother Ernie who did a magnificent job on the names of God last week. God showed up powerfully and the word got to us and I got to see it. Praise God. To all of you who helped, uh, T sent a special thanks to your dad uh, for, for helping with the sound. Uh, he keeps coming and he might end up on the sound crew. <laughs> We're always looking for people uh, to help. There is a word from the Lord. You guys ready today? Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 8, 8 through 15. Thank you uh, for all of you who came and worshiped last week. It's always a pastor's joy to know that things go just as well when he's here as when he's not. That means that you have good leaders that are stepping up into place and serving God. Uh, Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 8. I'm going to start reading if they get it on the screen. Um, you guys can catch on and read with us as is our custom. Uh, let's read together. What does it say? First, I thank my God through Christ Jesus for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all of the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow that by God's will I may now at least succeed in coming to you for I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith both yours and mine I do not want you to be unaware brothers that I have intended often to come to you but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation to both Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to foolish. And this is where we're going to hang our hat today. We're going to keep going a little farther. So I am eager to preach the gospel to all who are in Rome. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, I am not ashamed. Speak, Lord, your servants listen, and we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Somebody clap and welcome our online group and family. You may be seated in the presence of God. Last week was a good week because Pastor Ernie talked about the names of God. And in order to understand the book of Romans, you have to understand 
the nature and the character of God. Because as we go a little further down in the scriptures, you will see in a, in a few weeks that God is a loving God, but God is also an just God. And you need to know that God is not monolithic. God is not one-sided. God, just like you have different parts to your personality, God has anger and God has wrath, but God has love and peace and joy. We are image bearers of Christ, and God made man in his what? image. We are image bearers of Christ. And so we see the characteristics of God, the characteristics that have shaped us so much throughout our lives. If you are believers and as Paul begins to write and pen this letter to the Romans and talk to them about the characteristics of God, Paul is so deep in his theology that theology just teams out of him. Have you ever met somebody that loved Jesus so much that you can't talk to them before more than five minutes before the name of Jesus or, or serving God comes out of their mouth that they're literally pouring God out of their pores pun intended that God is a big part emanating from their life well Paul is much the same way which is why it took us two weeks to get through just the introduction to Rome uh, Romans because there was so much theology just wrapped up inside of what Paul was saying in his introduction and he does something very similarly today he begins to talk he's okay uh, uh, similarly today, he begins with a greeting and he says this. He says, I thank my God through Christ Jesus for all of you. Everybody say through. Now, if you're not careful, you'll just read that and you'll say that that is just a regular old greeting. He's saying, I thank my God through Christ Jesus for you. But why didn't he just say, as we normally say, I thank my God for you? Most things will say, thank heavens for you. I, I thank God for you. But Paul uses a particular word and he does not use it by accident. He uses the word through. Everybody say through. Through. Why is Paul using this word? Paul is using this word because Paul is letting us know theologically that there is only one way that you can get to God. It's through a door, and that door is named Jesus Christ. That is something that's countercultural today in a day where we have secular humanism and we have all sorts of postmodern societal thought that says that there are many ways to God. But Paul is letting you know up front, I'm giving thanks to my God. And the only way I can do it is through Christ Jesus, because it is through the blood of Christ Jesus that I have access to the father. That is enough on our own to be able to shout about because the gospel simply says this, that the wrath of God, which is justified, is satisfied. God is holy and he is pure and he is righteous. Therefore, anything that is less than his standard or falling short of his standard, because he is the standard, I am not the standard, you are not the standard, but he is the standard. If it falls short, it deserves his punishment and it deserves his wrath. As a matter of fact, the, that word we call in the Greek hamartia, you know that word as sin. It literally means to fall short of the mark, to fall short of God's glory. We'll see that. That'll be a whole sermon probably for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the wrath of God must be satisfied. And because of man's sin, we could not come to God how we were. God set up a system to be a foreshadowing of what was to come. But for a many a year, man couldn't come to God. They had to go to a priest and a priest would have to 
kill a bull or a goat and sprinkle the blood. And that blood was there to represent how violent the reaction to sin should be. If you'll put it into perspective, that bull or that goat that was being sacrificed was literally supposed to be us for the wages of sin is death. But rather than be able to sacrifice us, Christ became what we call a propitiation or a substitute for our sins. He came down, Romans 5 and 8 says that God demonstrated his love for us this way, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He became the final Passover lamb. He became and he died and he shed his blood for us. And now because of that, the veil that sat in the temple that that actually was supposed to separate uh, mankind from the Shekinah glory of, of God. Little known fact that by this time that the Ark of the Covenant isn't even in the temple. It looks like a church. It acts like a church. But the presence of God through the Ark of the Covenant covenant is not there. And, and that is so indicative of many of our churches today. It looks like a church. It acts like a church, but there is no presence or spirit of God. So they have a shape and a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. There is no power to change. There is no power uh, to uplift. There's good motivational speaking, but there's no power on the inside. And Jesus began to rip that veil from the top to the bottom it was ripped when he died because now you don't have to go through your pastor to get to God. You don't have to have me to forgive your sins. You don't have to have me to sacrifice. But because of the final Passover lamb, which is Jesus Christ, you now have direct access to the Father through Jesus Christ. This is important for us to know, especially for our youth, for people who, who seem to think that Christianity is not friendly, that Christianity is exclusive or, or, and it's not inclusive. And in a way, it is exclusive because none but the righteous shall see God. Not all people are able to say honestly that I am a Christian and I truly follow Christ. Just because you believe Jesus lived does not make you a, a Christian. For the Bible says even the demons believe believe and they have a reaction to it. They tremble because they know without a shadow of a doubt God is there, that God exists and that Jesus is there. But Jesus says it this way, why calleth thou me Lord and do nothing that I say? There are many people who have an intellectual assent to know that there is a God, but they have not been surrendered in their heart and their mind to the Lordship of Christ Jesus. Jesus gives us today uh, access to the Father. And by today's standard, that's an upsetting truth because in a culture where people are told there are many ways to God that you can find peace and enlightenment, Jesus himself says it, not the pastor. Jesus said it. You can look it up in John 14 and 6. Jesus says he doesn't say that your life coach is the way. He doesn't say that your bank account is the way. He doesn't say your charismatic personality is the way of finding peace or nirvana or whatever you want to find or enlightenment or no state. He doesn't use any of those new age cultural things we, we use. He says this. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And then he says this. No man gets access to the Father except through me. 
in a world where people are told to find their own truth, Jesus says, I am the truth. In a world where we say, make your own truth, and if it's right to you, it's right. And who are people to tell you that your truth is wrong? Their truth is just as good as your truth. And there is some truth to that because your truth isn't worth anything at all. The only truth that matters is the truth of God's word. What God says is right is right. What God says is wrong is wrong. And what God says you must do, you must do. He is the standard. And so in order to truly understand what Paul is saying, we must ask a question. Who is Jesus to me? See, the church in Rome, they knew who Jesus was to them, and they were completely committed. Their faith was strong. For you see, the Roman church had never seen any of the apostles. None of the apostles had been there. This church had been formed from people, no doubt, who had been there on the day of Pentecost. They didn't have any big-name preachers like Paul and Peter to come through. No Billy Grahams, no T.D. Jakes, but they had a faith, and they came back to Rome and established a church. And Paul says this. He says, I'm eager to come to see you, not because you have a big-name preacher, not because you have a big crowd, but I am enamored by your faith. Everybody say faith. Faith is something that we must pay close attention to. What is this word faith? Many people often use or misuse and abuse this word. Faith in the Greek is a word that is called pistis. Everybody say pistis. I'm going, to be, I'm going to be teaching today. In general terms, it means a leaning of the entire personality upon God. It is absolutely fueled by absolute trust in his goodness, trust in his wisdom, and trust in his power. I'm going to repeat that again. This thing that we call faith is a leaning of the entire personality. In other words, we can no longer grow up and say, well, that's just how I was raised, and that's just how I am. I'm short-tempered, and you just got to deal with me. No. It's a surrendering of your personality and your personality traits to Christ. A more accurate statement may be that I grew up with a short temper, but I'm surrendering my will to the will of the Father. I'm surrendering my fears to the will of the Father. I am leading my entire being and personality upon God, and and my whole life is fueled in my faith by absolute, everybody say absolute. Absolute trust that he is good. Why is that important? Because there's sometimes in our life and our faith, we're not going to feel like God is good. Pastor, did you just say that? Yes. If you've ever been like I've been and sat about where T is right now and sat with a loved one sitting in a casket across here and, and felt the pains and sorrow of them leaving, it's hard for you to come to the assess- assessment sometimes in your feelings and your emotions that God is good because the pain hurts so bad. But we always have to hold fast to the truth that even though it feels bad, God is still good. He's good in his wisdom and his power. Sometimes we ask questions about why things would happen to us in life. And we have to just trust. Sometimes we don't know the answer. We're not going to come up with the answer. But we have to have complete faith and trust that his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And some things we may never understand. And if we're going to have faith in God, we have to have complete and total trust in him. Which means I don't just trust him when I have money, 
cent in my pocket. I trust him when I don't have a dime in my pocket. I don't just trust him when I'm feeling good and it's sunny, but I trust him when the skies are gray and my health is bad. I don't just trust him when I have a roof over my head. I trust him when I don't have any place to stay and I'm in a battered shelter. I trust God because God is still good even when things are bad. That's a complete and total placing of our trust in Christ and his goodness and his wisdom and in his power. Today, we will call that a surrendered life. Everybody say surrendered life. We don't say that much anymore. We just preach what we call easy believism, that you begin to, all you have to do is just believe, and that's it, and you're going, you're, you're off. But the Bible says even the demons believe and tremble. You have to confess something, and you can't confess it unless your life is completely surrendered. The Bible said no man said Jesus is Lord, but by the Spirit of God. And the only way the Spirit of God is living in you to confess it is that your life has surrendered, and you are now what Paul says, hidden with Christ in God. I am crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20. Nevertheless, I no longer live, but Christ lives inside of me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. That my entire being, everything I do is hinged on one, one thing, that God is God and that Jesus is Lord. This is a real faith and a belief The surrender life is. It is not just intellectual assent alone. It is a belief of the heart. The Romans had a complete and a pervasive trust in God. How do we know this? Because the Roman church had already undergone persecution. They didn't have big name pastors to flock to. They didn't have to have big name singers and, and, and pop culture stars to come into their church to fill their church. As a matter of fact, nobody in their right mind would want to be a part of their sect. Why? Because to be a Christian meant absolute persecution. It meant absolute death. It meant absolute ostracism from your family. But beyond all that, they found something that was real. See, when you don't have the real thing, you always need gimmicks to bring you. When you don't have real faith, you need somebody that can sing real good to bring you to church. When you don't have real faith, you, you need somebody that can play the keys and the, and the bass real good to bring you to church. When you don't have real faith, you need the big preacher on TV to show up before you show up to church. But when Jesus gets in you for real, for real, everybody say for real, for real. <laughs> It doesn't matter if he's baritone, monotone, or barely tone, that you're not in love with the preacher, but you're in love with who the preacher is talking about, and you'll serve God to the day you die because you have real faith. Amen. <clears throat> a surrendered life is real faith and belief. The Romans had a complete and a pervasive trust in God. A better way to describe that faith is a complete and total surrendering to the Lordship of Christ. We often call Jesus Savior and Lord. But this is an interesting fact, Brother Ernie. If you look through the Bible, there's only one time, really, that you can actually say, maybe a couple or more, that they refer to Jesus as Savior. But over 700 times in the New Testament, do you know what they refer to him as? Lord. That Greek word, kyrios. 
I'm convinced that some of the slackness in our Christian culture is because everybody just wants fire insurance. But they don't really want Jesus. Because here's the thing. I love my wife. I miss my wife. I'd be glad when she heads back down the road and they call me from Greenfield and I pick her up and Miss Maggie and bring them on back. I miss her. But here's the thing. Anybody that has been married for a long time and is not a, not a habitual and compulsive liar will tell you just as many things as you have that you like about your spouse and you miss them, sometimes you're glad when they... I didn't say it. Y'all did. <laughs> But here's the thing, when you love somebody, you don't get to pick the bits and pieces of them you do. You got to take the whole packet. Following Christianity is not a la carte. When you submit to the Lordship of Christ, you follow him when it feels good. You follow him when it doesn't. You follow him when it's convenient. You follow him when you don't. When you do that, you don't have financial troubles in a church where, where a church is full of surrendered believers. You know why, Pastor Ernie? Because they don't do what they want to do with their money. They search the scriptures and seek God, and God lets them know what they need to do. You don't have a church that's full of people that are always having all sorts of issues. You do have normal issues, but I mean rebellion issues. You know why? Because when Jesus is Lord, you may get out of line for a second, but after the chastising of the Father, you get right back in line because your life is surrendered to God. Can somebody say I'm surrendered? See, that word Savior is only used a couple of times. We don't like to call Jesus Lord. Why? Because Lord indicates submission. And the pinnacle of sin is pride. It's pride that we have that makes us not want to submit. It's pride that makes us happy to live in the country we live because we're in the land of the free, or so we think. <laughs> we say we're in the land of the free, of the home of the brave. But if you don't know Jesus, you're really in the land of the food, in the home of the slave, because you're a slave to sin. And although you may be able to go wherever you want and do whatever you want and say whatever you want, you're really bound and you are a slave to sin. The only people who are truly free are those who have given their life to Christ Jesus. There are people in communist China right now that are freer than some people who walk the streets of the United States of America and they are having church with fear of their life being taken. You know why? Because they have found true freedom and it's not in a declaration of independence, but it's in a declaration of dependence. And you, oh Lord, I put my trust. Amen. <laughs> See, they're fully committed and they're so fully committed that they're a small church. But here's the thing. Paul says, but your faith has been made known throughout all the world. In a world where they don't have telegraphs. Not even carrier pigeons. They don't have cell phones and they don't have all sorts of other things. This little small church has faith that is known and heard throughout all the world. How is that? It's because of this. Everybody say fully committed faith. It's contagious faith. <laughs> say that again like you believe it. Fully committed faith. It's contagious faith. You know why some people are around you <laughs> and, they, and they've yet to give their life to God? Because you're not contagious. Woo. 
How many of us have had people we know all too well in today's terms, in today's world, you can just be in the room with somebody, and if they got something, you can try your best, you can put all the mask on you want, but if they really got it and it's really a part of their DNA and it comes and it emanates from them, unless you have a really strong immune system, you're going to catch it. Could it be that some people aren't catching our faith because it's not real faith, it's a placebo, it's a sugar pill, it's not fully committed faith, it's fair weather faith. I like Jesus some, I like to come to church some, but they see that I submit this part of my life to them, but my private life is completely different. And because I'm not fully committed, my faith isn't full-blown contagious. If you want a contagious church, you just need a church of people that are completely fully sold out to Christ Jesus. They don't just live the life when church people see them, but they live the life on Facebook. They live the life on Twitter. They live the life on Instagram and Snapchat. You don't have to wonder who they are because their love for Jesus comes up and it bubbles out on them and you can't help but to catch what they have. That's why their faith is known throughout all the world. Sometimes it's good to give people the Bible. It's good. I, I'm not discounting Bible reading. I'm not discounting it, and you'll see it in a second. But sometimes it's not because of their lack of reading the Bible, because some people read the Bible as literature. It's because our faith is not as committed as it needs to be, and the gospel is not coming out of our lives, and therefore people are not catching it because we are not emanating it. If you can't say amen, I think we all have to say ouch to a certain degree, don't we? If we be honest, all of us have to say ouch a little bit that maybe our faith isn't contagious as it needs to be on our job because they see how we act when we're at work. And then we invite them to church and they say, you act just like me. We gossip on the phone with people and then we tell them, Come to church with me, and they'd be like, but you're on the phone with me gossiping, talking about all your church members. Why, why would I want to come to church with you? <laughs> we say we love Jesus, but everything that come out of our mouth is negative and nasty. And every time they see us with our spouse, we fighting and, and, and all those things. We say, I just don't see why people want to get saved, because you're not contagious. The faith of the Romans was heard all around the world. They were not just committed with the head, but with the heart. And even in a dangerous climate where they could lose their lives for being Christians, they refused to hide their faith. They risked, no doubt, losing their life and their family and their friends. And Jesus knew this when he signed them up. You would think that that would be mean. Why would you sign me up for something that you knew wasn't going to work in my favor? It's going to work in your favor later, but it's going to cause division. Because here's the thing. There is a line of demarcation between the, the, the professed follower and the true follower of Jesus. And when you start to follow Jesus, for real, for real, you're going to make some people upset. Nobody wants to stand near somebody in a white suit if they're sitting in the mud. Because if I'm around muddy folk, huh? all of us look the same. <laughs> but if somebody else comes up and their suit is white, now you know that mine is dirty. <laughs> That's why you can fill and pack a building full of lukewarm, non-committed Christians. Because everybody looks the same. 
We come in and we sing two songs and we come out and live the rest of the week like we hadn't heard nothing of what we heard. Then we come back and do it again. And when we got a bunch of lukewarm people around, that fits fine. But oh, when you get into those people who are fully committed, oh, they Jesus freaks. We don't need to be around them. They're too much. No, that's what you need to be. You need to be sold out completely for it. And Jesus even knew that following him would be a contentious decision. And it, it takes now, just as it did then, boldness. Christianity is not a, 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 a faith for the weak of heart. It takes boldness, it takes commitment, and it takes great faith to follow Jesus. How do you know? Because I read it and Jesus told me. Let's look at it on the screen. Let's see what Jesus said about what it takes to follow him. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 through 38. Let's see what Jesus says about it. Let's read it together and let's read it loud so you, won't, you don't have to take my word for it. What does it say? Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. But they, isn't that what they preach nowadays? Just peace and happiness and harmony? Isn't that what they preach, Brother Pastor Ernie? But the first word out of his mind, mouth says, do not think that I've come to bring peace but a sword. Let's see if it gets a little bit better. We'll, we'll get, give him a second, see if it'll get better sometime. Let's see if we give him a chance to fix it up. Let's start over. Let's, let's see what it said. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father. Ooh. And a daughter against her mother. And a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own great household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Jesus says, I've come to make you make a decision. I've come to bring you a good tidings that the wrath of God has been satisfied. But here's the thing. Just because you want to receive that gift doesn't mean somebody else doesn't. And as a matter of fact, they get mad when you do. I've come to tell you that don't think it's strange when you come to Christ and you begin to lose some friends. Because they're not in love with Jesus. They're in love with the old you. The one that used to get angry. The one that used to curse everybody out. The one that used to drink and smoke and gossip, the one that was rebellious, the one that was nasty, the one that used to gossip, and now you have found out that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, and you do it like I, they used to tell us back in the old church, things I used to do, I don't do anymore. Places that I used to go, I don't go anymore. Things I used to say, I don't say anymore, and now you have not become their friend, but they look at you as the enemy. We were cool till you started talking about that Jesus stuff. You ever had anybody like that? You can't even go to family reunion or can't even go to Thanksgiving because, oh, there they go, start talking about Jesus again. You notice you see on Facebook everybody was talking about the party that you didn't remember that you didn't get an invite to? <laughs> because, you know, they were quarantining and sheltering in place and they didn't want to catch what you had. You keep that Jesus stuff over there. You let me smoke what I want to smoke, drink what I want to drink, do what I want to do. 
Keep that Jesus stuff to yourself. Don't come into work saying that there's male and female. Let me say whatever I want to say. Ooh, I'm going to get in trouble, but that's all right. Don't come to church saying that there's a right and a wrong. I, I do what I want to do. Don't come to say marriage is between one man and one woman, and that's how God ordained it. Why? Because I don't agree with that, and you shouldn't be able to say things that I don't like. This is a place where we have free speech. As long as you agree with what I want, well, I don't agree with you. I agree with this, what the Bible said. Let God be true and every man a liar I don't mount this pulpit to make friends I mount this pulpit to throw out a lifeline that whosoever will will come to Jesus and find safety and rest for their soul The Roman church is giving us an object lesson in how to follow Jesus because they were in, in a climate like Rome where they could lose their life and they were going to lose friends and family. Why? Because their friends and family can't be associated with them because to get back at them, they may get attacked. So they have to disown them and a call to follow Jesus, a call that I may lose my mother, I might lose my father, I might lose my brother, I might lose my friends, I might give up everything just like Peter said. Lord, we've given up everything to follow you. But Jesus says that if you give it up, not only will you get it in this life, but you'll get it in the next. You may lose your earthly father, but I'll be a father to you. You might lose your earthly mother, but I'll be a mother to you. You may not have a friend, but I'll be a friend to the friendless. If you'll grab a hold of me, everything you lose, you will gain that and more in this life and the next. We need to know that they were living unashamed in a time when they were completely justified to hide their faith, to save their, their lives and to save their hide. They were being thrown in the coliseums and, 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 and animals coming up through the floors and, and wild beasts and eating them alive. That would have been the time most of us would have said, you know what, maybe I didn't know, know what I thought I knew. Uh, that lion looks kind of hungry. Uh, maybe I do need to recant. But they are sitting there and historians recount them holding hands while lions came to eat up their flesh and to kill them and eat them alive and they would not recant the name of Jesus and no matter how much they try to quell Christianity there were people in the crowd looking saying if they're willing to give up their life for it maybe it's something that I want and Christianity didn't get stamped out it just became more and more contagious because they were fully committed they knew Jesus for real for real do you want to change your world do you want to change your city? Do you want to change your church? It doesn't start with the people on the outside. It starts with you on the inside. Are you completely and fully committed to Jesus? Do you wear what you want to wear? Or do you consult him and ask him, is it appropriate? Do you do what you want to do? <laughs> or do you consult him and ask him? See, it's not up to us to police you. He's giving you the Holy Spirit to teach you and to guide you. And a fully surrendered life says, whatever you tell me, that's what I'll do. They were living unashamed. Somebody said, what? I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. 
What is shame? Shame, this is the real definition. Shame is embarrassment or guilt because of one's actions, characteristics, or associations. It is a reluctance to do something through fear of embarrassment or humiliation. I'm going to say that again. It's a, it's a, it's an embarrassment or guilt because of one's actions, characteristics, or associations. Everybody say associations. That's why some people say I'm a, I believe in God, but I'm not spiritual. They don't want to associate with the church because they don't want people, people to look down on, on them. You don't know anybody like that, do you? Uh, reluctance to do so. I'm not knocking those people. I'm just challenging those people to come and come on in and, and let God transform you through faith and through the power of connecting with a fellowship of believers wherever you are. It's a reluctance to do something through fear of embarrassment or humiliation. How much have you sought? at your job and let, allow them to cuss, talk nasty and dirty, say whatever they wanted. But when you get ready to do your devotional at work, you hide in the corner so nobody can see you. They play what they want to play, but you turn your music down real soft so nobody can hear it. I don't want to offend anybody. Has anybody ever done that? From the silence, I think everybody <laughs> done that how does this ring true today because many in their walk with Christ find themselves trying to navigate loving Jesus and living in an almost post-Christian world Paul is speaking to Christians that have seen the expulsion of, of, uh, of, of Jews by Emperor Claudius and, and, and persecution of Christians and this is something that we need to know if you're doing that you're operating in fear and that does not come from God how do I know because the Bible says God has not given us the spirit of what fear but the enemy knows how to use it very well what are ways that the enemy can cause you to be fearful or embarrassed or reluctant to share what you believe. Have you ever been taught that some venues were not appropriate to display for you as a believer? How many times have you taught, been taught, oh, you don't talk about politics and what? That's a cultural thing. That's not a Christ thing. That's a way for us to say go along and get along and be peaceful. Don't, don't upset anybody. But as we see from Jesus' word, if we're going to be the Christians he's calling us to be, they're going to, we're going to make some enemies. And you need to make peace with knowing that you're not going to be at peace with everybody. The Bible says, live at peace with all men whenever possible. But I've come to tell you, if you're going to live a fully committed life and not be ashamed of Jesus, you are not going to be at peace with everyone. And you just got to be okay with that. Has it been deemed appropriate for others to share their views or preferences, but you felt pressure to remain quiet for fear of cancellation or ostracism, termination or, or retaliation? We see this in our culture today as people are bullied into being quiet because shame causes hiding. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and they knew sin was on them and they became ashamed, they said, he said, why are you hiding? He said, because I was naked and I was ashamed. If you're hiding your faith, that means you're ashamed of your faith. Doesn't mean you have to thump a Bible and go around beating people over the head. 
But ask yourself a question. Have I had opportunities to share the gospel where I chose just to stay quiet? Because I was scared of the reaction I would get from people? Anybody ever done that? They hid themselves because they were ashamed. I'm going to give this to you just how I read it. Do we hide the gospel? Do we refuse to share our faith? What does unashamed look like? Jesus says this about shame in Mark 8, 38. He says, if you are ashamed to own me before men, I will be ashamed to own you before my Father who is in heaven. Let's read that together. What does it say? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes into the glory of his father with the holy angels. In other words, you can't be a closet Christian. Jesus is saying, if you're ashamed of me while you got it good on earth, when you get to heaven's gates, forget you know me because I won't own you. He says, in that day, men will say in your name, I did many works, and he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. I know this is a tough sermon. It was tough for me to read. (laughs) Tough for me to pray about. But is this helping you? Amen. Is it helping anybody besides (laughs) later? I know it's tough. (laughs) Amen. We're almost done. I wanted to get this to you. I wanted to be a little bit more teaching today. I want to slow down, and the Holy Spirit's helping you slow down because you need to get this. Because we're in a season where the world needs a contagious church. It needs completely sold out, bought in Christians that are not willing to hide their faith, that they're unashared. Everybody repeat this after me. Well, not yet. Not yet. I'm going to go a little further and then we're going to be out of here. The gospel is the good news of how we can be rescued from God's coming wrath. But here is how I know that I'm walking an unashamed life. This is how we know that we're walking an unashamed life. We do one of several things. Number one, everybody say we evangelize. When we're not ashamed, we share stuff. Repeat this after me. We share when we care. Miss Barbara, I'm finna be messy. <laughs> I just pray for me. How many of us spend our time talking to people and sending articles from CNN and MSNBC and Fox News and being annoying to people who don't even care about politics and didn't ask our opinion and really don't care our opinion? And every time we talk around, we talk about our political opinion. You know why we share? Because we care. But why is it they know if you're a Democrat or Republican, but they don't know if you're saved or not? If you're saved or not. Because we share what we care about the most. When you're interested in something, you talk about it. You can't talk to Terhan more than two minutes before something about music comes up. You know why? Because music is his life. It's who he is. He can't help but share it. It's who he is. If we find ways that we're never sharing our faith, somebody's math ain't mathing, is it? Let's see what Matthew 28, 20 says. Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Let's read it together. 
They got something else up there. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. I'll read it for sake of time. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. These are the commandments of Jesus. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Remember, we are passionate and believe in something we need to, and we feel a need to spread that thing to the other. Ask yourself, what am I spreading? All you have to do is check your text messages. What do you talk about the most? Or go back to your TV history. Do you share about the TV show and you tell people about all the TV shows that you like, but you haven't, since you shared it, asked them, would you come to church with me? We share and we care. Help me, Jesus. <laughs> I love y'all. Y'all know that? <laughs> Number two, that we are equipping. Everybody say equipping. Acts 2.42 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. When the first believers got saved, you knew where to find them. They devoted themselves. Church wasn't a maybe. Bible study wasn't a if I get time or if I'm not tired at work. It was a must. God first, everything, everybody say, everything else second. Now, I'll let you judge what priorities. You have to do your own priorities, but, and you know what you can and can't do. But here's the thing. The principle is the, tr is the truth, that they devoted themselves to teaching and fellowship. How many of us show up on Sunday mornings but never find the, the will to make it out on Wednesday night? Where the teaching goes on. Wow. Verse 2, 46, Acts 2, 46 to 47, and I'm going to finish. I hope this is helping you. It helped me. Amen. Acts 2, 46 through 47. It says, and day by day. Did they get it up? Let's read it together. And day by day. So, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, Austin. Most people get mad if you ask them to come to church twice a week. What's that say? Every day. Now, I know you got other things to do, but, but this, this shows you what kind of devotion they have. You see that? And day by day, what? Attending the temple. They went to church. They were continually praising and worshiping God. How were they doing it? By themselves? No. Together. And what? Breaking bread in their homes. So it wasn't just the outside faith, but they loved Jesus so much that he came to the dinner table with them. That they fellowshiped with people who were like-minded. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Let's read verse 47 together. Let's read it with a loud voice. You ready? Praising God and having favor with all people. And watch this. And the Lord added to their number day by day those that were being saved. Why? Because they were contagious. God was their life and not their pastime. Oh, Jesus. Oh, I felt that myself turn <laughs> he wasn't something they just did if they got time. He was their complete and total life. They were completely and totally surrendered to them. Their, safe, their faith was centered on public worship and their private life. And this is this that I need you to know that an unshamed life creates a contagious church. 
That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. I don't have anything to be ashamed of. I found the most valuable thing in the universe. Why would I not want to share it with somebody? Hey, I want a million dollars. Hey, I got a mansion waiting on me in glory. Be that high you can. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Just remember, we share what we what? We care. I knew this would be a challenging sermon. Because all of us could care a little bit more, couldn't we? Notice I said us. I didn't say you. I said us. We all have room to grow. How many of you want to be unashamed? I know I do. I know corporate... Corporate life, and I've worked in corporate life, will sometimes make you out of habit. Stop what you're going to say before you say it. But do you not know, even though I work in corporate America, Pastor Ernie, that most of the people I work with know I'm a pastor. Why? Because I'm not ashamed. You say, what? let's talk about what everybody did this weekend. What's your favorite thing? I went to church. <laughs> why? You're not ashamed of yours. So why should I be ashamed of mine? Just remember that. I want to give you a challenge, and we're going to have him play some music in a second. I'm going to pray for you. We share what we care. I want to challenge you this week to show up to church with somebody else besides you. Because we share what we care. If you can't get somebody to come to church with you, share the gospel with somebody. Even if it's the person at the grocery store. Because we share what we care. That's it. You don't have to wait for me when the Lord's moving, people moving to the altar. That's just fine. We don't have a shape or a form here. If you know you need God to move on you, that's okay. You're welcome to go to that altar. I'm, I'm grateful that you're going to the altar. I'll go ahead and officially open it up. Pastor Ernie, can you come up and lead the altar, uh, altar call? If you know that I need a little bit more grace so I can share this true gospel, this altar is open for you. If you know I want to be a contagious Christian and I don't want to just be a, a, a Chino, a Christian in name only, this altar is open for you. Nobody here is your judge. We all need Jesus and we all need to grow. Nobody's mad at you. As a matter of fact, we're proud of you when you come to this altar because that means your pride is not in the way that God is pleased with you because you don't care what the world thinks. You just want more and more of him. As Pastor Ernie goes through and any of the prayer team, if, if they're here, well, they're at the altar. Let, praise God. <laughs> what a friend we have in Jesus.